three, two, one. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the 20s and 20 podcast, where we cover everything you need to know about your 20s in only 20 minutes. I'm Mallory Metz, and this is As Good As It Gets. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of 20s and 20. I'm Mallory Metz, and today I'm so excited for our episode and our topic. Today in our virtual studio, we have David Pakin. David, hello. Hey, Mallory. How are you? I'm so great. I'm so excited to have you in today. But before we get started and before we tell the audience what we're covering today, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you live, how old you are. My name is David Pakin. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. And for the most part, what I do every single day is I uh, try to help folks um, get jobs, strangers, people who you know have just come into the community that um, I'm building on TikTok and, and Instagram and other social platforms. And basically, you know, I just come in and, and, and try to help as many folks as I can. I've got a background in consulting and I went to school at University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign studying accounting. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm a huge corporate America girl. So most of the time I have someone on this podcast and cover a topic that I don't feel fully comfortable discussing or don't even know the right questions to ask. So I'm really excited to have you on. I think navigating a career, especially as an early or young career professional, can oftentimes be really intimidating or scary. So I'm happy to have you on and sort of debunk the difficulties that come with starting your career and paving your career path moving forward. Let's go ahead and dive into some of these tips for success in your career path. So You know, I want to start this conversation by entering the workforce and then once you're in the workforce, navigating those trials and tribulations that come with it. So what are some tips you have for job hunting in general? Where should people who have never entered the workforce be looking and optimize their time? You ask a great question, Mallory. And for those of you who don't have context, I probably didn't give it well enough. I have a, you know, TikTok account. It's at corporate life. And basically in there, all I do every single day is people come in. A lot of them are college students. A lot of them are recent grads who are struggling to get jobs right now. And the big thing I do is I kind of dispel a lot of these myths that people believe about job search. And frankly, the reason why I started the account, I'll get into, you know, some job tips, but just to give some context, the reason why I started the account was I was helping folks, you know, whether it was while I was in college or after graduating, I was helping them get, you know, better salaries. I was helping them land jobs because, you know, I had learned this stuff the hard way. And essentially what I realized was going on is I saw a lot of, you know, and I'm putting in air quotes, you know, so you can't see it, but people who call themselves career coaches, experts, gurus, who were essentially mystifying this process so that they could get more folks into their funnel to sell them into longer coaching sessions and, and their ebook or their course. And so I thought that that was fundamentally wrong because I think that there's so many people who need that help right now. And you're basically putting a paywall or making it so that people who don't have the means to be able to actually pay for that knowledge where they can't get access to it, right? So they're continuing to struggle. So I think the biggest thing that you know we found with the hundreds of thousands of people who have joined the community in the last 80 days, it's that people believe that the traditional apply and then you get an interview is the way to go. And that is actually the least effective route to land a job, which is super counterintuitive. And so I can get into some tactical stuff, but I did want to give a little bit of background so that people understood where I'm coming from here. So one of the biggest things is that, you know, people always throw out this buzzword of networking. The reality is that networking is literally you creating a relationship with somebody that's genuine, right? And so, so many folks believe networking is kind of this inorganic process where you say, hey, I'm looking for a job, can you help me? No, 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 it's you actually reaching out to people who you, who you see who are working in roles and in positions that you wanna work at and actually understanding what are they looking for in optimal candidates? What are the technical skills you can pick up either through free courses on LinkedIn, Udemy, 
Coursera, all of these free websites that have resources for you to build the skills that they're looking for and they talk about in their job postings. People really need to focus on outreach. And then the biggest thing is that I'm sure that you know your audience, if you've got a lot of folks who are in the corporate world, probably have backgrounds in having college degrees. You know, you've got a lot of people who are alumni of the school you went to who are working in the roles you want to get into. And those are going to be the best folks to reach out to first because of course you're sharing in that you're interested in the same field that they're working in. They went to the same school as you, so they're gonna know the same landmarks, the same bars or restaurants, whatever it might be. And three, you're also gonna be able to relate to them in that you went to the same school, you're the same alma mater, there's the same type of you know chance or whatever it might be that's specific to that school. So rather than reaching out to somebody who's super random and it's a very cold outreach, you can now relate to somebody on three to four things inherently before you even say one word to them. I think by far, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere in my career without networking. I think it's so essential. And I think it's like you said, leveraging the people you're connected with, even if it's not that direct connection, but if you're in college still, sororities, clubs, club fairs, things like that alma maters, it's amazing how big of a deal that actually is in corporate America. And a lot of the times I think people don't get jobs because you don't have that college connection or they're not recruiting from your school. So I think it's all the more important to capitalize on that and really leverage that overall. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's plenty of folks right now who are going six figures into debt and then you're not using the biggest asset, which is this massive alumni network that you now have access to. Your degree does not guarantee you a job. And so I think that it's a harsh wake up call, but it doesn't doesn't mean that it's too late. It means that you just have to get started, right? A hundred percent. That's a big misconception against everybody is having a degree or going to college is going to get me that internship or going to get me that job. And it's actually all these back end elements that help you get your foot in the door and really put you out there. So yep. let's get a little bit more granular. I want to talk a little bit about what are some of the ways that people can optimize their resume and cover letter. I think a lot of people don't understand that when they are just blindly applying for jobs, there's a lot of our artificial intelligence that comes into play and a person may not actually ever even look at your resume. I 100% agree with you. I think that the one of the big things that I've tried to do for my community is that in my bio, I always have the same, it's not Linktree, but it's called beacons.ai. And basically what it is, is it's literally a list of all of these free resources, including free ATS friendly resume templates. And I'll break down what you know ATS is for folks who might not know that. A free cover letter template. There's free outreach templates for both LinkedIn and email. The big thing is that so many folks are using a either outdated resume template or they're using something that is not gonna convert well when it's uploaded to either LinkedIn or a random job posting because in the back end, these companies are using something called applicant tracking software. That's what ATS is that I was alluding to earlier. Mm -hmm. And basically what that system is doing is it is, it is matching up the keywords that are in the bullet points of your resume, the entire formatting and trying to match it to what successful candidates are and what they have set as their custom preferences for candidates of that role. And so the problem is that folks are basically either using non-ATS friendly resumes, right? So it goes into the system and it's getting auto-rejected because it's not even in a format that the applicant tracking software can read. Mm -hmm. Or two, and usually this is the in addition to, they're not matching up keywords from the job posting into their descriptions. Now, let me make it clear. I am not saying to lie. You do not lie on any part of your resume because the reality is that you will get found out. What you need to do is you need to go in to places like LinkedIn Learning, which lets you do a free month 
of taking courses there. You go into the Coursera and the Udemy's that have these free courses available for you to build that skill. And now you can actually say that you're building that skill and match up the keywords to those job postings. I think that's all great advice and great tools for people to leverage. I think it's all about being consistent, being concise, and being accurate. Definitely don't lie because that just only hurts you later in life. So that'll come out in the interview if you make it that far. So I think great point there. And then really my next question segues into that path, which is really, you know, I want to talk through some interview tips for people, give them some confidence that can really help them be successful when entering maybe a first or second interview. And then I also want to go through and talk about some red flags to look for when you're in an interview, because when you're fresh out of college, there's a lot of sales companies out there selling you a pipe dream. And just what are some cautionaries around that as well? So first, would love to hear some interview tips you have or some interview tips you've learned along your way. And then we can sort of segue into what you should be cautionary around as well. Yeah, so I think the biggest thing, because I, I know that we have a limited amount of time, especially when you're cutting this up, I think that one of the big things in the interview is that you need to model your answers where they are concise and getting to the point. But two, you also want to make sure that whatever you're saying, whether it's a skill, whether it's an experience, it needs to pertain to the actual job. So many folks, unfortunately, they come in and they say, hey, I have a page and a half resume or I have all this experience, but much of that might not be relevant to the role or the skills that you have picked out, right? You might have five or six bullets, but only two or three are relevant to the actual role. Then you need to talk about those types of experiences because otherwise the person's going to think, well, if you're not actually giving us reasons as to why you're relevant to this role and this company, we don't think that you're going to be an, as ideal of a candidate as the other people who do end up doing that in their interviews. So that's the big piece that I think is going to solve a lot of issues. I've, I've done tons of videos where I've gone in depth on specific questions like tell me about yourself what's your greatest weakness where do you see yourself in five years but I think that overall the biggest thing that you know correction that people can make today to get more opportunities in those job interviews is to be concise make sure that you're using experience that's relevant to the role and ensure that you're being upfront about what skills you have and then also being honest about what you're working on I totally agree I feel like the biggest piece of advice I've ever given and taken into my life is really practice out those questions with somebody else and rehearse saying them and answers for like the top 10 most common interview questions or if you're applying to a well-known organization, obviously looking up those questions on Glassdoor, getting a feel for what they might ask you and actually rehearse saying them out loud because it's amazing how much that recall comes out when you've practiced it before. So I definitely recommend that to anyone. Moving on to the darker side of this question, which is really, you know, red flags to avoid in a company. What are some that you've seen and that you caution other people to look out for? One that's definitely been going around and one that I think absolutely you need to ask the employer Remember, the, the interview is a two-way street. Don't let it just be an interrogation. You want it to be a conversation because just like they're interviewing you, you're also finding out for yourself, are you a good fit with them? And so many folks, I think, don't ask questions. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. So you need to ask them, what is their work environment or what's their work culture? So for example, they might tell you that they have work-life balance or that they like giving people time off on the weekends. But then your second follow-up question down the line, whether it's the next question or the fifth question, needs to be, who is somebody who has succeeded in this 
role that you look at and you say, that's a perfect example of somebody who's thriving in our group. And all of a sudden they mention somebody who's working 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 hour weeks, they're working weekends. That gives you the inclination that there is a disconnect between what they're saying and the actions that are actually trying to map those words. And so I think you need to be very careful about companies that tout having work-life balance. And then on the flip side, in the next question, are gonna tell you that the best examples of people who work there and people who they show as model employees are ones that are not having any semblance of work-life balance. Yeah, and I think, again, this all goes back to that network. If you have a network or people that you know that have worked in this company, they're gonna be pretty honest with you, maybe not 100%, but say, you know, you have to be okay working if you're in big four during busy season, like you have to be okay with slaving away your life. People are pretty honest about that once you have that connection. So asking those questions, doing your research, I think is imperative to making sure that you find the right fit for you. Now, I really want to segue into, let's say you've nailed your interviews, you've gotten the job. What are some tips for when you're starting out in your career? So the biggest one, you know, that I've struggled with in my life that friends have struggled with is negotiating your starting salary. So you may not have a ton of experience or you may not feel like you have a place to negotiate. What are your thoughts on that? I agree with you. I think this is where people screw up quite a bit because the difference between you doing the, the steps that you need to do to get what you're worth could be hundreds of thousands down the line when you think about you getting maybe an extra couple thousand dollars on your base salary or even 10,000 plus. I've had situations where I've gotten people 20 to 30,000 plus on their starting entry level salary out of college. That translates massively down the line because you got to think about five to 10% raises, the 401k matches, all those types of things play. So getting that base salary as high as possible helps you way, way more down the road, as well as in the short term to if you have student loans or if you just want some extra side money. But I, here's some tactical things I would say. First of all, whatever the first offer is, I don't care if you're interviewing a big four or at a boutique firm, never take the first offer. I don't care if you're somebody who's coming out of college, the first offer is always the lowest. So you're always going to counter the first offer. Even if you know you don't believe you have the skills, even if you don't believe that you should be doing it, you need to do that because fundamentally it is a negotiation, regardless of if they say that it is the market rate. Now, what you need to do on the side to go and figure out what to do next is to go and research the market rate, whether that's through Glassdoor, Payscale, whether it's through Indeed. Looking at these sites to understand where is really the range of the average for people who start out, or if you're somebody who's a senior or you're somebody who's a manager, you need to figure out what that market rate is, and then you need to up it by about 10% because it gives you some leeway if they try to negotiate you down again. Now, this is another big one. So on top of you countering the first offer and doing your research to understand the average rate, you need to go and make sure that when they're asking you for a number that you are giving a range, right? So if they keep pushing you on a number, you simply can tell them, hey, look, I don't think that the number that you gave is in line with the market and matches the worth of my skills and then see what they say. Usually they'll come back and say, hey, look, well then where do you think you're valued at? You cannot give them a number because what you do when you give them a number is you're negotiating against yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So you're giving them a number to say, oh, cool. Okay, now we just need to get them down from this number. What you want to do is you want to give them that range, right? If they start offering you the salary either below the bottom or at the bottom of the rate, that should be a red flag to you right now. Oh, they are not going to value me now. They're probably not going to be valuing me later. On that same token, you know, I think a lot of times people struggle with asking for a promotion or asking for a raise. 
How do you feel that differs or is similar once you're already established in your career? Let's say you've been there two to three years. When is the right time to ask for the promotion or when should you just ask and probe about a raise? Maybe people won't want to hear the answer to this, but the reality <laughs> is you need to be applying to other jobs and reaching out to your contacts that you've been building. Remember I told you before, reaching out to folks who are alumni from your school, even if you're in the working world and you already have a job to build more connections. Because what you want to do is when you're coming up and asking for a raise or if you're asking for a promotion in your hand, you want to have some leverage, right? Mm -hmm. And so if, if they say no, you don't want to be sitting there and now you take no for an answer. They know that they can string you along for you know the next couple of years or however long they think they can get away with because the reality is that corporations are always going to value getting the most amount of revenue and keeping costs low, aka getting more profit. And one of the highest expenses is payroll. What you need to do is you need to build the offers up and then be able to come to the table and then say, hey, look, you know, I believe I've been working pretty hard. I'm one of the top performers if that's you know what you've been doing. And then if they say no, well, now you can go to another place or you can say, hey, look, I think I'm gonna have to go elsewhere. In that same vein, how do you know when it's time to leave a job? Obviously, this is going to vary person to person, but sure. when is it time to take that leap of faith and try something new? When you don't think that you're being valued where you're supposed to be anymore, or when you're not growing as far as your skill set. I think that, you know, a lot of folks, they don't feel like they're being valued much earlier on than when they actually leave and they spend too long, right? If I'm looking at this from the company side, it's the same reason why companies hire people and then take forever to fire them when they know on the first week that that person's not going to be a good worker. It's because we don't like to admit when we've made a mistake. I always advise people, if you don't feel like you're being valued, or if you feel like your company is not doing what's in your best interest, it's usually an indication you need to leave because it's not like things are going to change. They've already shown their hand. I think you're totally right. Really on a similar note, I want to talk about the best way to change career paths. So this is another thing that people are always like, I would be doing something else, but I'm nervous because I've been doing this for five years already. I feel like my career path is set in stone. But let's say you're a field sales rep and you hate being in outside sales, but you've already put in the elbow grease. How do you take that change to say, you know what, I actually want to go and do something in an office, maybe marketing, maybe innovation. What is it going to take for someone to make that career path change? And how do you recommend people go about that when they may not have direct experience? I'm glad that you gave some examples of fields they want to switch to. So for example, if you're a field sales rep, you have built some skills that are transferable to marketing or are transferable to supply chain. So you're gonna lead with those when you're in either interviews for the marketing jobs or the supply chain jobs. In the time between 7 p.m. and 3 a.m. or whenever you are off from work and you have time to be able to work towards changing your life, right? And changing mm -hmm. your career path, you need to be spending that time building up these skills. So many folks are trying to apply to these jobs thinking that just because they have a field rep in sales, right? That they have all the skills that are necessary to at least transition to an entry-level job. And that's not necessarily true. You need to go and figure out if it's marketing, do you need to figure out Google AdWords, Google Analytics skills that they're listing in that job posting? Is it Instagram swipe up ads? Is it Facebook ad marketplace? If not, all of those skills can be built via free courses on LinkedIn Learning, Coursera, Udemy, all these different places that allow for it. You have to put in the work if you wanna change your life because you've been doing this for five, 10 years, right? So you need to figure out what those steps are and then execute on them. All right, David, I end every episode talking about pet peeves relative to the subject we've been talking about. So today I would love to hear some pet peeves you just have around corporate America in general. List one or two or a couple, whatever you have off the top of your head. I'd love to hear them. <laughs> 
I have so many, but I think that the big one is the amount of people who pander and essentially say that because they have X amount of experience or X amount of years doing something, it inherently means they're correct. And I, I've seen literally C-suite and vice presidents and big execs talk about things that I'm like living with thousands of data points every single day where they basically said that this is what's going on in the world and my thousands of data points because I'm actually talking to the people that they are basically labeling and essentially saying that this is what's going on. The big one being unemployment and how people are approaching it and especially college students being able to land jobs. I'm hearing the biggest corporate execs say things that are fundamentally contradictory of what is actually going on. Mm -hmm. And then I know that there are so many college students and so many people in the corporate world who see that title and they take whatever they say as word. And that's what's troubling because I think that we're essentially letting folks who are taking their information from the either staff level or intern who's doing this research and giving them the notes before they go up on stage or before they present and essentially relying on some intern or entry level person's research. I think that we just need to do a better job holding a accountable to people who are saying things at some of the highest positions at those corporations in the world. If you enjoyed today's podcast, go to our Instagram, follow us, give us a like, give us a shout out, tell your mom, tell your grandma, and leave us a comment. Thanks for joining us.